Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. Chapter 40. The Second Resurrection. Wow. We're almost done with Spiritual Gifts Volume 1. I think there's... I think there's one more chapter after this. Okay. The Second Resurrection. Then Jesus and all the holy retinue of angels and all the redeemed saints left the city. The holy angels surrounded Jesus and escorted him on his way, and the train of redeemed saints followed. Then Jesus, in terrible, fearful majesty, called forth the wicked dead. And as they came up with the same feeble, sickly bodies that went into the grave, what a spectacle, what a scene! At the first resurrection, all came forth in immortal bloom, but at the second, the marks of the curse are visible on all. Kings and the noblemen of earth come forth with the mean and the low, learned and unlearned together. All behold the Son of Man, and those very men who despised and mocked Jesus smote him with the reed, and that put the crown of thorns upon his sacred brow. Behold him in all his kingly majesty. Those who spit upon him in the hour of his trial now turn from his piercing gaze and from the glory of his countenance. Those who drove the nails through his hands and his feet now look upon the marks of his crucifixion. Those who thrust the spear into his side behold the marks of their cruelty on his body, and they know that he is the very one whom they crucified and derided in his expiring agony. And then there arises one long, protracted wail of agony as they flee to hide from the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All are seeking to hide in the rocks and shield themselves from the terrible glory of him whom they once despised, as all are overwhelmed and pained with his majesty and his exceeding glory. They with one accord raise their voices and with terrible distinctness explain, exclaim, Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus and the holy angels, accompanied by all the saints, again go to the city. And the bitter lamentations and wailings of the doomed wicked fill the air. Then I saw Satan again commence his work. He passed around among his subjects and made the feeble and weak strong. And he told them that he and his angels were powerful. He then pointed to the countless millions who had been raised. There were mighty warriors and kings who were well-skilled in battle, who had conquered kingdoms. And there were mighty giants and men who were valiant and had never lost a battle. There was the proud, ambitious Napoleon, whose approach had caused kingdoms to tremble. There stood men of very high stature, dignified, lofty bearing, who had fallen in battle. They fell well, thirsting to conquer, and as they come forth from their graves, they resume the current of their thoughts where it ceased in death. They possessed the same spirit to conquer which ruled when they fell. See, that, I'm just going to say here that uh, the character that we make, that we form in our lifetime, this is the precious thing that we get to take with us to heaven. And this, it's the same when Jesus come. It doesn't change, even though we die and he raises us from the dead. That's not what changes when Jesus comes. Our character, which we have formed, fashioned after him, after his character, because of his indwelling, he makes it possible. Jesus is the one who makes it happen. He gives us that character. But these ones, 
they had the same character that they had when they died. It just stayed, that's their character is the same. Oh, okay, so Satan consults with his angels and then with those kings and conquerors and mighty men. Then he looks over the vast army and he tells them that the company in the city is small and feeble, that they can go up and take that city and cast out its inhabitants and possess its riches and glory themselves. Hmm. Satan succeeds in deceiving them and all immediately commence to fit themselves for battle. They begin to construct weapons of war. For there are many skillful men in that vast army, and then with Satan at their head, the multitude move on. Kings and warriors follow close after Satan, and the multitude follow after in companies. Every company has a leader, and order is observed as they march over the broken surface of the earth to the holy city. And here is where Armageddon continues from, it, it started when Jesus said the second coming, they all turned on each other. And here is where it continues. They're going to march to the holy city, thinking they're going to take it. But Jesus closes the gates of the city, and this vast army surround it, and place themselves in battle array. They have prepared all kinds of implements of war, expecting to have a fierce conflict. They arrange themselves around the city. Jesus and all the angelic host with the glittering crowns upon their heads, and all the saints with their bright crowns ascend to the top of the wall of the city. Jesus speaks with majesty and says, Behold, ye sinners, the reward of the just, and behold, ye my redeemed, the reward of the wicked. The vast multitude behold the glorious company on the walls of the city, and as they witness the splendor of their glittering crowns and see their faces radiant with glory, expressing the image of Jesus, and then... Behold the unsurpassed glory and majesty of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Their courage fails. The sense of the treasure and glory which they have lost rushes upon them. They have a realizing sense that the wages of sin is death. Not immortality in hell or in heaven. Immortality. No, wages of sin is death. They see the holy, happy company whom they have despised, clothed with glory, honor, immortality, and eternal life, while they are outside of the city with every mean and abominable thing. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's worth any sacrifice to be in the city, wouldn't you say? There's nothing here on this earth that has any value that's worthy of losing heaven over, is there? Think about what we talked about the character of the ones who were outside the city. Their thoughts started again exactly where they were before they died. You know, people have gone and gotten blood transfusions. And the character and personality of the person whose blood they took somehow sometimes was transferred to the one who received it. There have been people who have gotten organs and they began to have a taste for certain things that they'd never had before. Their personalities have changed. I believe that there's more to a character that's built than simply some ephemeral thing. You know, it's ethereal thing. It's a real thing. And it actually, it actually somehow resides in the cells of our body, not just in our brain. I don't even know that I understand it completely. But this developing of this character is a big thing. It affects our health and well-being. 
and it actually creates a sort of a, I don't know, for a better, lack of a better word, maybe an aura or an energy around us. You've been in a room when somebody really angry has come in and how it hit you like a hammer. Um, your character, your sense of who you are, if you're filled with the Spirit of the Lord, people in the room are going to feel it. it. It has an effect. We've got to cooperate with the Lord and let Him change us. All right. I'm sorry. I got on my little soapbox there for a minute. But let's close with prayer. Dear Jesus, I pray for those who are here with me today. Oh, Lord, help us to be in the city with you and not on the outside with the fearful and the evil. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Tomorrow morning, I think the final the final uh, chapter of our little book here, The Second Death. Uh, I hope to see you there. God bless you today.